Thank you again to our worship team for leading us this morning. We appreciate it so much. If you're our guest today, you'll see a sermon outline in your bulletin and on the back a number of scripture passages we hope to refer to this morning in our final sermon on a delightful series we've studied together on the fruit of the Spirit. And the last fruit of the Spirit we want to address today is gentleness. You notice we skipped it as we were going through, but we're going to conclude with this fascinating word in the Greek language, and that is translated in a variety of ways in the New Testament. But the list, I hope by now you are familiar with, Paul tells us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so far then the reading of God's Word. Gentleness. It's a wonderful word. When you hear this word, what do you think of? Here's what a lot of people think of. They think of my friend Elmo. Elmo is in my office sometimes when parents and children need to talk about issues. Elmo helps calm everyone down. Why is that? Because if you know Sesame Street, you know that Elmo is one of the gentlest creatures that PBS has ever created. And uh, certainly, is, does this word apply to a character like this? Well, I think insofar as the word means tender and kind and gentle in terms of softness, Elmo is not a bad example of gentleness. But the thing is that in the New Testament, this, there's not an English equivalent for the Greek word preotes. There's no single word, and so sometimes it's translated meekness. You've heard that word, meekness. Other times it's translated humility, and then other times it's translated gentleness. And Jesus, when He spoke in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 5, He said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you think He was simply saying that only Elmo's get into heaven? Well, I, I think not. I think there has to be something more. It has to be deeper in our understanding, this precious fruit of the Spirit. And so I dug into this word this week, and I remembered all the way back long ago when I was in seminary, and an Old Testament professor, he said, did you people know that there's only two men in the Bible that are described as meek? Who are they? Moses and Jesus. And when you think of Moses, you don't really think of Elmo. And when you think of Jesus, it's more than just the gentleness and tenderness, although that's all through him. And so when you study this Greek word preotes, you find that it's a word that is used in the ancient world to describe a wild animal that has been tamed by its master. Isn't that interesting? That's how the word is used. And really, what we're saying that is that the Holy Spirit needs to do that to us. 
The Holy Spirit needs to tame us, that you are like a wild animal, and you need to be tamed by the Master. Think about it, a bucking bronco. He's just pure muscle. He's, he's, he cannot be dominated. That's why he's called wild. It's a wild animal. And what does the horse trainer do? The horse trainer takes that wild bucking bronco, he breaks the spirit and he shapes the spirit until a child can ride on the back of that horse. And that's what we need. We need to be tamed. We need preotes. We need gentleness for, that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. I have a little brief video that Austin put together for us here of a horse, of, uh, of a man in South America. I saw this online. A man in South America who has trained a horse. Watch what he can do. And notice, go ahead, you can play it. There's no bridle at all. Watch this. with a, a click or a word from him. This stallion knows exactly what to do. Isn't that fantastic? He just runs, jumps on him, and at a word, the horse knows what to do. So powerful is this animal, and yet now tamed for the use of his master. Where does this preotes, this gentleness, come from? Well, you'll see if you read through the New Testament that very often it is paired up with another word. You know, love uh, or joy and peace are often together, right? You know, gentleness and humility are often together. Humility, according to the Apostle Paul and again and again in the Bible, humility is the soil of the heart out of which gentleness flourishes. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul says, as a citizen for the Lord, um, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. And then his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12, it's the same thing. He says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and then here it comes, humility and gentleness. And actually, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Humility comes and, and evolves into gentleness. I read a couple of essays this week, one by an Indian Christian named Prakesh and an Italian Christian named D'Ambrosio, and it was so interesting to see how they both made this connection of humility leading to gentleness. What are those things that dissolve our pride that lead us to humility. Well, for the Christian, first thing is that we need to remember is that we did not make ourselves. We have a creator. 
There is a creator God, and he is the almighty, omnipotent one who reigns over the universe. And we do not congratulate ourselves for making ourselves, but yet we acknowledge that we are created, and there is a God, and he is God, and he owns us, for he made us, and we belong to him. The Christian also remembers that they are sinners, that I am a sinner, that I have lived my life so often in rebellion, wanting my own way, insisting on my own way, and I do not care for the commands of God. And then He, in His mercy, convicts me and reveals to me that wayward heart, that, that, that heart of selfishness and lust and greed and and all the, the many men, multitude of sins that manifest my own rebellion. And it humbles me. It humbles me when I see that. But, you know, true humility not only acknowledges God as creator and not only acknowledges the self as a sinner, but true humility comes then when you experience grace. Right? Isn't that our testimony? Isn't that our story? when we discover that the blood of Christ was shed for those who were guilty, guilty sinners found the innocent Son of God dying in their place and shedding His blood for us. And what does that do? It dissolves our pride into thankfulness and gratitude. (laughs) And we bow low before Him, our Creator, our Redeemer, And pride begins to dissolve. And your relationship with God, when you truly understand these things in humility, becomes secure. You become secure in your relationship with God because you understand, you really get this, you understand the necessity of the cross, but you understand as well the sufficiency of the cross. Do you got that? Yeah, it was necessary for the innocent Son of God to die for me. I couldn't save myself but it was sufficient. Jesus paid it all, paid in full for you and me. That humbles me. Does that humble you? Have you come to the place in your life where you can acknowledge God as your creator and God the Son as your redeemer? I hope that you have. If that's a mystery to you, we we would be delighted to talk with you further about that here in the life of this church. But because the fruit of the Spirit, experiencing the fruit of God's Spirit, really depends first on this humility. But when that vertical relationship with God is established in humility, then the horizontal relationship with others emerges in all the ways that were listed for us in this verse, but especially in preotes, in gentleness. And this, the Bible says, is remarkable. Because the Bible says that when you are gentle, you are able to persuade people. Did you know that? Let's say you're in an argument with somebody, and they're coming after you, and they are verbally hostile toward you. What do they expect you to do? Why, they expect you to say, okay, you're going to come at me, I'll come back at you, and I'm going to let you have it. And what happens? It escalates. And then you suddenly say, Put your hands up. Say, wait a minute. It seems like you're acting as though I'm your enemy. And I'm not your enemy. 
we have a problem, but let's talk about the problem. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, the Bible says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Isn't that a great proverb from the Old Testament? A gentle answer stops the conflict and allows you to address the problem. It turns away wrath. In Proverbs 25, 15, there's a fascinating verse. It says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. What, what, what does that mean? A gentle tongue can break a bone. You know, actually, it's not saying that you can hurt someone with your tongue, although that's true. It's a Hebrew idiom simply for the expression of power. It's simply saying that a gentle tongue has power. And kings will listen to the gentle person, to the stallion who is now in possession of his own faculties and emotions and can speak without ranting and raving. You know, the old wisdom of the world, you win more flies with a drop of honey than what? Than a gallon of vinegar. Gentleness is persuasive, and gentleness is healing. The Christian church has a duty to bless people who are struggling, for people who are wandering, for people who, for one reason or another, are tangled up in sin. And what are we supposed to do? It says in Galatians 6, verse 1, it says that if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? What's the next word? Self-righteousness. Right? Restore him in my righteous indignation when I see what a fool you've made of yours. Is, is, is that how we're supposed to do it? You who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then humility, the next phrase. The next phrase is humility. And he says, watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. Because you can be as much of a fool or a worse fool as the person you're going to help. Be careful. Be humble. But gentleness is, has a restoring power. Parents, do you have children that are wandering? Do you have siblings who have left the faith? Go to them. But go to them in gentleness. Love them. Learn to listen to them. It's a powerful effect. And this, this leads to point number two. And it's this, that we often fail at gentleness. And the Bible anticipates that you and I will fail at preotes. That's why the Bible is such a wonderful book. It, it, it knows the human heart. What's the opposite of gentleness? Violence, harshness, disrespect. These are the opposites. These are the counterpoints to gentleness. And the Bible actually speaks to a variety of people in this room. It says husbands. Husbands, any husbands here? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Why does the Bible say that? Men, we look around the world and we see one of the great tragedies 
on our planet is wife abuse. We see physical violence, emotional violence, verbal violence that comes from husband to wife. And it is rampant and epidemic. But oh, we in civilized society, we may not do it with our fists, although some people do. And when they do, the police should be called and then the elders of the church should be called. Okay? Be clear on that. No room for physical violence in the church. But there is also verbal violence and emotional violence. And the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And maybe today, men, there are some of us here who need to hear this. This is a day of repentance for us because maybe we've put a finger on something in your character. You must ask in your relationship with your wife, am I gentle with her? Have I been tamed by God? Okay, men, men, young men, have I been so tamed by God that I know how to be gentle with my wife? Of course, the Bible speaks to wives. And it says in 1 Peter, uh, it says to the ladies uh, in 1 Peter 3, verse 4, wives, adorn yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. And there's that word. So it goes both ways. And I was talking with a non-Christian woman yesterday about this message, and as we were talking, she said, wow, that's in the Bible? She said, she said, my girlfriends need to hear this. I said, why is that? She said, because my girlfriends are so mean to their husbands. Hmm. They are so mean to their husbands. They disrespect them. They put them down. And Peter says to the wives, wives, you know, your, your adornment doesn't come from Saks Fifth Avenue. Your adornment is to be a gentle spirit toward your husband. And that, the Bible says, is what makes you beautiful. Children, teenagers, teenagers, the problem with being a teenager is that you start to respect yourself so much that you stop respecting your parents. Suddenly, you're, you're feeling pretty smart. Teenagers, they just feel really smart, right? We know it all when we're a teenager. And uh, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And there should be no place for impudence and disrespect in the home. Parents, with gentleness, you need to train your children to be gentle and honoring to their parents. Maybe today there's a teenager in this church and you say, you know, God really put his finger on my heart today. I have been so nasty to my mother, to my father. And God, I think you're speaking to me right now. Well, that's good. That's good. This is a day of repentance for you too. Disrespect. I tell you, the problem with disrespect is essentially this that we get so full of ourselves that, that we just can't listen to anyone who opposes us. If they think differently from me, then I don't need to spend the time of day listening to them because I already have them all figured out anyway, right? 
And do you know people like this? Their conversations are only monologues. Did you catch that? Do you know people like this? Their conversations really are just only monologues. I know better than you, and you need to hear what I have to say, and gush, 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 like a fire hydrant. You know, I'm, the, the important thing is that you hear what I have to say. You see, that's disrespecting people. That's not gentle. The gentle person, the preotes stallion who now is, is restrained and tamed, is able to draw out others and say, tell me what you think. Let me really be present with you and listen to you. Let me hear you. And maybe there's someone here today who would say, wow, that's me. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself here. Big, the big problem of the pastor, you know, diarrhea of the mouth. Maybe I'm not the only one. Have you learned how to listen? Or are you just so full of yourself that your own opinions are the only thing that count in your mind? That's not gentleness. Eugene Peterson, he wrote a paraphrase of the Bible. It's called The Message. And when he translates this word, preotes, he puts it like this, that preotes is not needing to force our way in life. Some of us, we're just so forceful. Force my own way in life. The gentle person doesn't need to do that. Why? Because they are humble before God. They are secure in their relationship with God. They've learned how to listen. They've learned how to engage with self-restraint in order to bless the other person. Sometimes we fail at this. What do we do? What should we do? Well, point number three is that we need Jesus. Have you studied Jesus on this topic? If you read the Gospels, you see that it followed Jesus all through his life. In fact, before Jesus Christ came into this world, the prophecies of old, foretelling of the Messiah, describe a Messiah in Isaiah 40, verse 11, that tells us when he comes, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently, there it is, gently lead those who have young. Who is this Messiah? Who is he? His name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the one who is like none other who has ever lived. Jesus lives his life, and you watch him interact with the widow of Nain. And and she's broken. Her son is dead. She is hopeless. Her husband is dead. Her son is dead. She is destitute without support. And we are told Jesus saw her. See, he was paying attention to someone other than himself. Jesus saw her. And then he goes and he ministers to her. And he gives her her son back. What a moment of gentleness. My list is so long. The blind man, the man born blind, Jesus perseveres with him and loves him. Uh, The the little girl we talked about who was dead, and and, in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, there is this remarkable self-disclosure of Jesus Christ as the Lord over death, and he raises her from the dead. And remember what he does next? He says what? Give her something to eat. 
Isn't that beautiful? In that powerful moment, he says, give her something to eat. And he's like that through his whole life. Why? Because as we read this morning, Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble, there it is, humility, I am humble and gentle in heart. Don't be afraid of Jesus. If you're here today and you're saying, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm a Christian, I don't know if I want to be a disciple of that Jesus, don't be afraid of Jesus. Come to him. He is gentle, and he will be gentle with you. Come, come. Even in his last hours, marvel as you watch him stand before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate mocks him. Pilate mocks Jesus Christ and says, I have the power to to, to kill you or deliver you. And do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, you would have no power unless it were given to you by my Father above. And I have to believe there were 10,000 angels all peering down, looking at Pontius Pilate, all tense and ready to strike, saying to themselves, go ahead, Jesus. Give the word and we will incinerate him. And we are told that as a lamb is silent, so Christ was silent. Preotes. And on the cross himself, bleeding and dying, he says, Father, forgive them. Who's he thinking about? Himself? And in a gent- the, the most gentle, amazing moment, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is our Savior. He dies in the greatest exhibition of gentleness the world has ever seen. But he rises, and he rises again in power. And Jesus Christ then is made known to the world. And he says to the disciples, he says to the women, go, tell the disciples and Peter that I am risen. Why Why did he say tell Peter? Do you know? Because Peter has just messed up. Peter is a wreck. Peter has just denied Christ three times, and Jesus remembers, oh, there's my friend Peter, and he's a mess right now. Make sure you tell him it's all going to be okay. I am risen. And when he then meets his other friend, the apostle John, do you know this? In Revelation 1.17, when Jesus Christ is seen in his glory and described as someone whose eyes, in his ascended, transfigured glory, his eyes are like blazing fire. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters, a 10,000 Niagara Falls thundering down. His face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. And John with a deep sense that he's in the presence of his creator and he is deeply aware of his rebellion, he says, I fell at his feet. I fell at his feet as though dead. Now what's the next phrase? It says, Then he laid his right hand upon me and he said, Do not be afraid. Can you sense this? 
in the midst of all this power. There's gentleness. This is Jesus Christ. You see, <laughs> when Jesus said the meek shall inherit the earth, ultimately, who was he talking about? He was talking about himself. He's the only one. And he is now the meek one who is king of kings and lord of lords, Praotes, our savior. So we conclude our study in the sermon uh, uh, in the fruit of the spirit in this fourth point. It is this. It is our ambition. It is your ambition. I pray it is your ambition. Not just to get the promotion at work, not just to get the nicer car, not just to have uh, well-behaved children, but it is your ambition, okay, that the life of Jesus would be formed in you. Is that what you want? That's what we want, North Shore Church family. That's what we want. That is our ambition. You know, you can't, you can't be saved without preotes, without meekness. It's really interesting. In James 1.21, anybody who thinks they're a Christian, just listen carefully. This should describe you. James 1.21, where he says, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Then he says, and receive with meekness, that's preotes, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And what James is saying here is that, the, you know, you could hear a thousand of my sermons. My sermons are nothing special, but you could hear a thousand sermons, and it doesn't even make a dent on you. Do you know why not? It doesn't make a dent because your heart has never been meek, has never been preotes, it's never been humble and gentle, able to receive the word. So you need God. You need to say, God, soften my hard heart. Warm my cold heart. Give me this fruit of the Spirit that I can receive with meekness your word so that it can save my soul. I can be connected to Jesus Christ by faith. It never happens without humility. And Paul says, he says, pursue gentleness. What do we want? What, is we, what do we want? When I came here, over 10 years ago, I told the elders of the church that one of my ambitions was that the North Shore Community Church would be used by God to gentle New York. New York is known as a tough town. It's a strong, aggressive, assertive town. We live on an island it's not Long Island, it's Strong Island. But there is an arrogance, there is a hubris all around us. And could it be that the life of Jesus formed in the North Shore Community Church, its leadership and its people, would actually be like leaven, would be like light, gentling New York? That's my prayer for us still. Have you learned to listen? Could we become skilled listeners, preotes, able to hold back my talk so that I can hear you? Preotes. Picture yourself. This is a room filled with wild stallions. I know you. 
This is a room filled with people of great hearts, enormous talents, great gifts. You are wild stallions. Be tamed by Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? We come to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the essence of the fruit of the Spirit, and oh, how we want it. And we pray, we humbly pray, that you will make this a reality in our lives. As husbands, as husbands, we pray we would not be harsh with our wives, but rather gentle. As wives, we pray that we would not be impudent, disrespectful, unkind, and mean to our husbands, but we would be of a gentle spirit that is beautiful, adorned with preotes. We pray for the children of our church, that you would do that miracle, Lord, of teaching them how to love and honor their moms and dads and those in authority. And we pray for us as parents that we would not be cruel or rude to our children, but that we would be kind, tender, gentle with them. Why? Because you are that way with us. You have been gentle with us. It says in Psalm 103, you did not treat us as our sins deserved. What is that, O Lord? That is gentleness. You didn't treat John as his sins deserve. You didn't treat Peter as his sins deserve. Thank you that you have not treated me as my sins deserve. Thank you. We love you, and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.